so as we start this new year, um, our title this morning is Entering 2018, Resting in Jesus. And for those of you who are new this morning, if there's anyone new here for the first time, we want to welcome you. If you haven't been coming along, uh, we want to tell you that we've been studying the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we've been studying from chapter 1 right through and we've got to the beginning of chapter 6. So that's where we start today. And it's very interesting that uh, that the chapter 6, the, the heading across my Bible is Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is all about rest. So we want to talk about that today because Jesus is still the same person who says, come on to me and rest. And we want to really, uh, I believe this morning that God wants to really touch you and bring you into a deeper place of his rest and what the meaning of the true Sabbath is and uh, that we will leave here today different. I've written in your notes that at the beginning of this new year, we are invited to enter into God's rest, which really is his salvation and all that his salvation in involves, all that's incorporated in God's salvation. Because God's salvation is not, it's wonderful, it's, a, it's going to bring us to heaven because our sins are forgiven, but his salvation is so much wider and so much greater than that. It's about our inner healing, it's about, it's about restoration. What he, what he died to, to, to give to us in salvation is so vast, I think we live our lives sometimes not really entering into the fullness of what he died to accomplish for us and to give us and it involves this deep deep rest moment by moment uh, i just feel there's so many of us who are troubled with anxieties and and yet the lord is still saying i am the one who can give you rest and i wanted to start this morning by just reading uh, matthew 11 28 and 29 because this is the true meaning of the sabbath are you tired this is the message are you tired worn out burned out on religion come to me get away with me and you'll recover your life i'll show you how to take a real rest walk with me and work with me watch how i do it learn the unforced rhythms of grace this is jesus speaking i won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you keep company with me and you learn to live freely and lightly. And so as we think about the Sabbath and we think about these words that Jesus spoke, really he came to fulfill the, the Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath one day a week was really a prophetic pointer to what Jesus was going to do to give us moment by moment rest in our salvation. I came across a wee quote, just, um, uh, I'm just trying to think now where to write that wrote it somewhere here we are every time we turn to christ in faith it is like a moment of sabbath a little foretaste of eternal rest and glory the gift of that moment lies not in what we do but in what we receive it is a ho the holy time set aside to receive the greatest gift that god ever has to give which is himself in his beloved son. It's a quote from Philip Carey in a book that he wrote called Good News for Anxious Christians. I believe that God wants us to stop being anxious. Isn't that what Jesus said? Don't be anxious about anything. 
He wants us to live in the moment, moment by moment, in turning to look to him. But the question of the Sabbath remains in the religious sense. And we're going to just read a few verses now from Luke chapter 6. And I believe, and I'm trusting, the Holy Spirit's going to lead me and put the words in my mouth that are going to be deposited right into your heart. Are you up for that? Are you ready for them to go right in, wherever they need to go? Whatever God says to you that it needs to go right in and be planted in your heart this morning. Are you up for that? Okay, well, let's read what it says in verse uh, number one. Now, it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that Jesus went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, Have you not ever read this? What David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, that was the religious, that was the holy bread that was in the tabernacle, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priests priest to eat. And Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So we're going to look at this wee bit first of all, and we're going to remind ourselves that as far as the Jews are concerned, even up to this day, but for centuries and centuries, right back from Bible times, that the Jews religiously observe the Sabbath. That's the seventh day of the week. They do that because uh, of the commandment that was given to Moses, that they would work for seven days and then they would rest on the seventh. And you know, if you go to Israel, you'll see that even you know on the Sabbath day, if you're staying in a hotel and you're going to get into the lift, you'll realise that you don't press any buttons on the lift because that would be work. And so you're not allowed to press a button on the lift. And so to get over that, the, the lift stops on every floor. So nobody's to press any buttons. The first time I did, I got onto one of those lifts. I was getting off nearly on every floor. I think I'm landed now. <laughs> but that's, that's how far they take this. They have a list of hundreds of things that constitute work. And so it's work to even press the button on the lift. And so that's how religiously they still observe the Sabbath. And the Jews would say that this, it's not, a lot of them would say that it's, that it's not actually that the Jews have kept the Sabbath, but they would say it's the Sabbath that has kept the Jews. Because right down through the centuries, they have maintained this religious observance from Friday. I'm going to read to you a couple of things, a few things that they actually do for their Sabbath. And because as a community that they have done this together, they would say that is what has kept them in their identity throughout all of the generations right from before the time of Christ. So I have a book which I purchased in Israel a few years ago. It's called Remember, Observe and Rejoice. And it's a, it's a guide to the Jewish feasts and the holidays and the memorial, memorial, memorial days and events. And I wanted to just point out a few things to you because it says that a typical, they call it Shabbat, and the typical Shabbat begins on Friday afternoon between 2 and 3, when observant Jews leave their work or close their shop and head home. Everything's prepared, listen to this, as if a queen or a special beloved guest is expected. They actually see the Sabbath as being almost like a queen or a, a particularly um, beloved uh, guest that they're going to receive. The house is cleaned. The family members take a shower and put on their festive clothes. The table is set with nice tableware and the festive meal is cooked. 
No later than 18 minutes before sunset, the woman of the house makes a blessing over two special Shabbat, Shabbat candles. And here's what she says. Blessed are you, Lord our God, sovereign of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to light the lights of Shabbat. Amen. Then the men, they walk to the nearby synagogue where they attend a brief about 45 minute service. Uh, and that's, that actually starts with prayers. And then they have this special, uh, this special ceremony, which is in, in, in Hebrew, it means receiving the Sabbath. And so they receive the Sabbath uh, on the Friday evening and um, they sing a song I'm going to read this wee bit to you as well. Which they sing this this particular song, and then this uh, this official reception of the Sabbath. Uh, the, the words in it mean, "Come, my beloved," and it's a request of the mysterious beloved that could mean either God or one's friends to join together in welcoming Shabbat, the Sabbath day. And during the singing of the last verse of this song, listen to this: the entire congregation rises turns to the open door to greet Queen Shabbat as she arrives and they sing this song. This is the way they've been doing it from the 16th century. But right back from Bible days, receiving the, the, the Sabbath and um, revolving their lives around the Sabbath has been a really important part of their Jewish lifestyle. And uh, it's, it's something that they count to be very, very important. Now, the thing is that the Jews, sadly, have kind of missed the real meaning of the Shabbat because they still see it as being religious observance of rules, of not being allowed to rest. But there's a good side to it because they actually do stop. Shabbat has the idea of stopping and stopping to rest. So we can actually learn some good things out of this. And I think if we would actually live in the true meaning of the Sabbath, that is enjoying God moment by moment, not just one day a week, but moment by moment, if we would keep looking to him moment by moment and enjoying the now, then we would begin to experience what Jesus died to give us, which is constant daily moment by moment peace. I wanted to read to you from Hebrews 4. I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation because it speaks there about entering into God's rest. And it says here, <coughs> verse, um, this is small print, so I'll have to bend down here. I think it's verse 6. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard the good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words, although already quoted, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, that would be through entering into the promised land, then God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have entered from their labours just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fail. So there's something about being obedient to God. There's something about choosing by faith to receive that rest and entering into something that God has already prepared for us. 
So we have this choice as we start, as we move in, and we're already into 2018. Here's the challenge, ladies. Are we going to continue to stress and strife and worry and try to live out of our own abilities and our own smartness? Are we going to try and, and live life on our own efforts? Are we going to step into a place of faith where we're saying, God, you, you're the one who can carry me. You're the one who can take me through this year. You're the one who moment by moment can give me that sense of joy and peace no matter what storm is going on around. Isn't that a good, would that be a good way to live? For us to live in this year. And you see, there's something about realising that Jesus died to fulfil the law of the Sabbath in the proper way, moment by moment, that he could say, come on to me and I will give you rest. I will fulfil the Sabbath to you, not just one day a week, but moment by moment. And that's what God wants us to do. Now, it's interesting, there's a book that I read a year or two ago called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's by Peter Scazzaro, I think that's how you pronounce his name. And he, he, he talks about a way out in the Midwest of America, how uh, because of the great blizzards that would have been there, you know, in the winter time, that when the farmers had to go out and take care of their animals, that if they went out from the back door in the blizzard, that there was a good chance that they would never find their, their way back again because of the visibility was nil. And, and often in the Midwest of America, way, way back years ago, people would actually have died wandering around in the backyard because they couldn't find the door to come back into the house. And, and it's, I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. It says, um, uh, the story about the farmers in the Midwest who would prepare for blizzards, and here's what they did. They tied a rope from the back door of their house out to the barn as a guide to ensure that they could return safely home. And these blizzards came quickly and fiercely and were highly dangerous. When their full force was blowing, a farmer could not see the end of his or her hand. And many froze to death in those blizzards, disorientated by their inability to see. They wandered in circles, lost sometimes in their own backyards. If they lost their, if they lost their grip of the rope, it became impossible for them to find their way home. Some froze within feet of their own front door, never realising how close they were to safety. In this book it suggests that resting in God, that for the Jewish people, that the Sabbath was their rope back to keep them close to God. And for those who truly received God, I'm sure that it was a rope. But you know what? We have something greater than keeping the observance one day a week. We have Jesus Christ himself who has died for our sins, who has paid the price, who has bought our peace. And he's saying, I'm the rope. Hold on to me. And you know, it's so important. And this book really is about what they call the, the, the daily. It's not just so much about one day a week but it's that daily time of stopping that daily that daily coming aside they call it the daily office that every day we come to God not just maybe one time but constantly our minds are going back into that rest of God we're bringing all of the day over to him that's an amazing way to live ladies I don't know about you but I want to live more and more like that do you know 
that throughout the day when stuff comes up and we're feeling disorientated or confused or anxious or worried about something or somebody or some situation, that we, we just hold on to that rope. And we know, Lord, we're just coming back into you now. Just give clarity. We just bring it to you now and we just, we just offload it onto you. We don't want to carry this burden. We want to give you this burden. And that's the way that God wants you and me to live. And so I'm setting the scene for this and I'm saying to you that God doesn't want us to be religious. He wants us to be in that special relationship with him where we can experience that moment by moment rest. Now we're read, we, sorry I've got a cough and if I start coughing ladies you'll not get a word out of me so I'm keeping oiling down here, down in my throat. So We've read these verses and you've heard how Jesus and his disciples were walking through the grain fields. And I think this is very interesting because it's so easy for us to become religious, isn't it? To get into this religious mindset about rules and regulations. And you see, although God gave the Ten Commandments and one of those was about keeping the Sabbath, God was never into rules. He was into relationship. Those, those, those laws were to bless us. They weren't to bring a curse on us, and yet we couldn't keep those rules perfectly. But through Christ, he can empower us that we can actually live in the good of those rules that are our guide and our anchor. But here's these Pharisees, and they don't have a relationship with the Lord. They're full of religion, and they're looking to see if they can catch Jesus out in a fault. And we read this, how they were walking through the fields and they were taking off the, the grains and they were rubbing the grain in their hand. And the thing was, I'm not going to take time to read it, but if you have time when you go home, you can see that in Deuteronomy 23, 25, it was perfectly legitimate. The law said that you couldn't lift big handfuls of it away, but you could take the grain, the head of the grain and you could rub it in your hand. So actually what they were doing was perfectly lawful. And these, these um, Pharisees, they came and they, they, were, make, they were picking fault. It's actually very interesting. I read this just recently, that the Orthodox Jews, way back then, and, and many of them even today, they believe that Messiah, the one that they've always expected to come, the one who was prophesied from the beginning of the Bible and the Old Testament, they believe that Messiah is not going to return until they keep the Sabbath perfectly. So that's what they're believing. And so these, these Pharisees were into the rules and the regulations. But here's a wee quote that I thought was really good. It's not about resting. It's not about the, keeping the Sabbath perfectly, but it's about resting in the person or the one who is perfect. We can't do anything perfectly, but we can rest in the one who is perfect. And so, you see, they failed to understand that their Messiah was actually with them. They actually failed to understand what the meaning of the true Sabbath, or the Shabbat as they call it, what it actually meant. They were thinking it was one day a week to observe the rules, and they were missing out on the truth. Oh dear, that was a funny noise. They were missing out on the truth that it was a moment-by-moment moment gift of peace and forgiveness of sins. It was a gift that God had always planned to give them through his son, their Messiah. And they weren't even recognizing that Jesus was there. And so in response to their accusations, Jesus told them this story about David, how David and his men, and if you read the story in um, 
in Samuel, in, in 1 Samuel 21. You'll read the story there how David was actually running away from Saul. Saul was, was, uh, was trying to kill him. And he and his men arrived and they were starving and they were, they were weak, uh, tired and exhausted. And the priests, Jesus reminds the Pharisees of this story where the priests took the showbread, the holy bread from the tabernacle and actually because they were, the, the, David and his men were, were starving, he actually gave them the holy bread. And so the Pharisees have no bother at all in, in, in believing this because they know the scriptures. Remember we told you weeks ago that, that, that they were steeped, uh, the Jews were steeped from small child in the scriptures. They had no trouble believing that because they knew that David had, that he had taken the showbread. So they could accept that okay. And, uh, and, and they, could, they could accept that. But I think it's really interesting that, that even though they could accept that David, and probably they accepted it because they knew he was later made the king of Israel, and also they, they also would have known that he was also a prophet, and that's, we know that from Acts chapter 2, that he was also a prophet. So they had no problem in, in accepting that David had eaten the holy bread, but they did have a problem with Jesus and his disciples taking this holy bread. I have, here's the way I wrote it down. I want to read it the way I've written it because I feel it makes a point. Let me just get another wee thing down while I'm not over here. I've written in your notes. David had eaten holy bread and it was acceptable. But the Pharisees were blinded to the fact that Jesus, the greater son of David, was the king of kings, the Messiah, who was going to give his holy body to be broken as the bread of life. Remember Psalm, I think it's Psalm 40, it says that God had prepared a body to be broken for us. He had prepared a body that was sinless. And here's these, these religious Pharisees, and instead of worshiping their Messiah, instead of recognizing that Jesus was the one that God had sent to be their Messiah, instead of receiving him and worshiping him, they're actually accusing him of breaking the Sabbath. Now it's not just unbelievable that that was the point and all the time Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath that's what he said in verse 5 Jesus said the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath you know I just think it's so important that we appreciate the fulfillment of what Jesus has done for us and what it means to us far more than keeping one day a week I, again, I found this little quote somewhere. The Sabbath is God's gift to us. A time for rest and restoration of our connection to God and others. It reminds us of God's creation and it reminds us of Jesus' grace. It's a moment by moment thing, maybe. It's been able to connect with God and find that rest and that peace. No matter what storm is going on in your life. It's knowing there's a rope tied around your waist and it's tied to the Lord himself. And you will not lose your way and you can depend on that rest. There's another wee quote here that I've written down. On Sabbath, the work, on Shabbat, the work is never done. But we are invited to set it aside for the moment to dwell in the presence of God and to experience the sacred right in the middle of the secular. We can experience God not just in church, not just, you know, when we go to our prayer meeting or we meet with Christians. God wants us to experience him moment by moment. If I could get that across to you and get it into my own heart, how much of each day do we spend worrying 
and being anxious and actually all over the place instead of coming back to that place of intimacy and of just rolling our burdens onto the Lord and where he's saying to me, come on, come to me and find that rest. That's the way he wants us to live. And so we see that uh, through this story that Jesus is revealing himself that he is the one that will give them rest and he is reminding them of what David did. And you see, uh, when we think of the Jews and we think of the Shabbat or the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, then there's this whole query comes up, isn't there, so often, well, what's the right day then? Is it, are we meant to keep the Sabbath still, the Saturday? Or how come that most Christians keep the Sunday, the first day? Now, I know that, um, that the, the law, when, when, when God gave Moses the law, that he said, remember to keep the Sabbath and to keep it holy. Six days you will labor, and then after that you would rest. And you see, that came after man had fallen. But there's a very interesting thing I came across, and I'm just gonna throw this out for you to think about. I'm not saying this is 100% or not, but I think it's very, very interesting because there's a man called John Corson. He's written commentaries of the Bible, and he makes says something that I think is very interesting. He says that he believes, according to the scriptures, he believes that God's original intention was not for man to work for seven, for six days, and then rest. But he believes that God's intention was always for man to rest first on the first day, and then out of that, after that, he would work after that for the rest of the week. And his reason for that, and I've explained it to you in your notes, you can take some time when you go home and read it, but his reason for saying that is because when God created the heavens and the earth, do you remember on the sixth day he created the man and the woman, right? So that was the, the sixth day God had completed his work and he was ready to rest, okay? But he had just, he had just created Adam and Eve and they hadn't worked, they hadn't done anything. It was, it was actually, as he created them, it was coming into the first day of their lives. And what was happening on that first day? They were supposed to rest. So this guy is suggesting that God's original plan was never that man would work and then rest, but that God would work and then it would be time for the man and the woman to rest. And he's suggesting that that was always his plan. But because of sin and because, the, 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 because of what happened in the Garden of Eden and because the, the, they, they turned away from God and decided to do it in their own strength, that actually they lost that blessed privilege. And so God had to give the law to Moses and the law said that they would work because remember God spoke to Adam and said because of what's happened, the ground's gonna be cursed, you're gonna have to work Life's going to be characterized by toil and by striving and stressing. But, but God was giving them this, this law of the Sabbath that after they had toiled and worked the ground, that after the, after the six days, on the seventh, that they would rest. And this guy, of course, and he says that he believes that when Jesus came and died on the cross, that he paid the price so that we wouldn't have to work, that we would be able to rest on him. Let me just read you exactly what his quote is. He says, under the old covenant, man had to work for six days before he could rest. But under the new covenant, because of the work that Jesus did on Calvary, man rests on the first day. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of gets me stirred up. 
because that reminds me that actually I'm supposed to live my life not out of doing and working and striving and trying to do it myself and, 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 and then looking to God to help me. But actually, I'm supposed to, everything I do is supposed to come out of what God's already done. And so because of what he's already done, that then I have the power to live my life moment by moment. And I can, out of the day of rest, out of what Jesus did on the first day of the week, he completed that task. He rose from the dead. He overcame everything that the enemy had tried to string around our necks to tie us down and to bog us down. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, he died on the Friday, he, he went and, and faced death and hell, and Saturday the work was on, he was still on the ground, but on the first day of the week, he rose from the ground, Mary went to the tomb, found him at the tomb, and the work was completed. And the rich, Jesus told her to go and tell them that it was all done, it was completed, that he was alive. And out of that truth, then they were to live the rest of the week for him. Do you get that? And so I believe that God wants us to be women who will, and I've been telling the Lord this at the beginning of this year, I do not want to live my life out of me working first and then asking God to bless it. I want to live my life out of receiving what he's already done and then working and do it, working with him out of the power of what he's already accomplished. Do you get that? There's all the difference in the world, ladies. And you have the choice, you can stress and you can get all uptight and get into stuff and you're trying and you're forcing yourself and you're trying to work it out. And God says, look, if you just enter into me, I'm the one. What did we say? What did we read in the end of, the, of in Ma, in Matthew uh, 11? Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The Lord wants us to, to, to really learn to live under his yoke, to learn to live with him. I, I often think, you know, that ver those verses in the, in the, in the uh, New King James or some of the other translations, it talks about take my yoke upon you and learn of me. That's the way it's put. I often see that as, you know, we can decide we're going to carry everything ourselves. Or we can get underneath his, his, his arm and we can allow him to lift the yoke, the weight, off us so that we walk with him but he carries the weight. That is the secret of the Sabbath and that's what God wants us to do. And so the Lord, uh, really I believe from this first story, he's wanting to say to us, look, you can, you can live and you can, you can live in that place of, of trying to do it yourself. Or you can understand that I give my body to be broken for you so that you can eat from me and you can receive from me moment by moment and you can live in the goodness of that. And it's not just about picking the wheat grain, but he says, I want you to have it all. I want you to feed on me. I want you to eat me. I want you to, to know that, my, that I am the bread of life. He wants to be your daily bread. He wants you to, to chew on every moment. And you know, so often we talk about meditating on the word. Meditating, we all know this, but we forget about it. Meditating comes from the word of the meaning of the cow chewing the cud. And if we, if we could just get into that daily rhythm, that's what this, these verses are, are talking about in, in Matthew 11. They're talking about that unforced rhythm of grace. Listen. God wants you to get into a rhythm 
of spending time with him, of bringing stuff to him in a rhythmic way. But I'll tell you something that Satan wants to break that rhythm. He does not want you to live your life like that. He wants to get you distracted. And already this year, I have felt so many distractions. The enemy trying to get me all churned up about stuff. We don't need to get all churned up about stuff. We can make a choice to calm ourselves down and to take a hold of the rope and get right back to that place of intimacy with him and just tell him about it and give it to him and trust him. That's a brilliant way to live. These Jewish people, bless them, they're still going through this observance one day a week and they're turning around and welcoming the Shabbat. The Shabbat. I, I stayed with a friend in Israel a few years ago, not one of the tours, but before the tours, and she's a Jewess and you know, she had the candles up and we went through the whole thing about welcoming the Shabbat. But you know what? We can, we can welcome Jesus, the true Shabbat every moment of our day. And you know, earlier on this morning, as I was waiting for you ladies to come in here, and uh, Jane had pl was playing music down the back there, and it was a fantastic song came on, and it was just really worshipful. And you know what? I, I was just standing here, and I, I just happened to glance up, and William, and most of you know William's my son, who's Down syndrome, and he's down at the back. William came walking from the back with his two hands up like that, worshipping and he went stomping up the front and he was going like this and he came up to the front and i just couldn't help but think he's welcoming the savior he's welcoming the true rest and he came up and he took that that one of those um flags the flags and he, <laughs> he took the flag on the flag and he started to wave it and to worship and i just thought that's the simplicity of it it's about receiving not a religious day, not the Shabbat, but it's about receiving the Saviour. It's about realising that our rest is in him, that we don't have to be carrying burdens. And I know that many of you have heavy things going on in your lives. I know that there's stuff that you're carrying that you're worried about. I know that. But you know what God's saying today to you? This is the day, today is the day that you can enter into God's rest. But that's a choice, ladies. That's a choice. You can decide you're not going to enter in. You can decide, well, I'm, you know, that maybe doesn't apply to me. You can, you can refuse to take it on personally. But God's saying to you, I'm offering this to you. I'm offering this rest. There remains there for a rest of the people of God. It's available today if you will enter in. He's calling you today and he's saying, make the choice to deliberately put your faith on him and to lay everything into his hands. And so we see that, that Jesus was speaking to these um, uh, Pharisees and he was telling them that he was the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's continue reading here. It says in verse 6, Now it happened on another Sabbath also that Jesus entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. But Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when Jesus had looked around at them all, he said to the man, this is the man who had the withered hand, Stretch out your hand. And he did so and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and disgust with one another. 
what they might do to Jesus. I love this story as well because um, you see, in this story, there was this wee man and his hand was withered. Now, I don't know what you think about a withered hand, but I feel a withered hand is a hand that has no power. Can't really use it properly. It's withered up. And so this wee man, get the picture. This wee man is there on the Sabbath. And these religious Pharisees, they're not one bit concerned about the man. And that's what religion will do. It will lose sight of of, of, of what's real and what's what uh, lose sight of love religion rules take over from love so often not always but so often and so they weren't concerned for this wee man at all but they were looking to try and find fault with jesus and jesus knowing what they were thinking he spoke to the wee man and he asked him to stand up and he asked this question, is it lawful to do good or whatever? And of course they couldn't answer because they knew, they knew that the, the, the scripture said, actually the law said, and I've given you the reference there, the law said that, um, uh, Deuteronomy 22, that if an animal was, was in, uh, needing help, that you were supposed to help it. You, you weren't to close your, even to an animal, you weren't to pretend it wasn't there. So the Lord was actually challenging them well, if, you're, if the law says you're meant to take care of your animals, how much more would you not have compassion on another fellow human being? But they, had, they were devoid of feeling for this man. And then, I love this, Jesus asked the man to stand up, and he speaks to this man, and he says, stretch forth your hand. And of course, he was asking him to do what he really couldn't do. And I think sometimes we don't realise that God is asking us to do what we think we can't do. What, do you, what is it that you think you can't do? Well, you know, the Lord was asking him to do what he thought he couldn't do, but in faith he decided he was going to obey. And so what did he do? He actually received the power to stretch forth his hand and he was healed in that moment. And I want to suggest to you that if there's stuff going on in your life and you think, I just can't do this, that the Lord would say to you, just stretch forth your hand. What's withered? What do you think that you can't do? What is it you think your hand hasn't got the power to do? Well, the Lord says to you, I have the power. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Just obey me and just step out in faith and trust me and do what you think you can't do because God will give you the power to do it. And that's the amazing thing. And you see, I've been thinking about this resting and how this... this um, stepping out on faith this soaring and, and last night i was lying in bed and a friend of mine she rang me earlier in the evening and then she sent me this text and it was a text about the eagles and i thought well that's interesting we're, we're talking to the, to the eagle this morning and uh, and, she, and i don't know how many people remember but a way way back the very i think it was the first year we ever started this group eagles which would now be i think 11 or 12 years ago i can't remember and I remember we actually spoke one morning just on the eagle. I don't know if any, anybody here that was there that morning. Yeah? So there's a lot of things about the eagle that actually remind us of, of what faith in Christ is. But this friend had sent this wee word, and I'm not going to read it or anything, but she said it was very interesting that the eagle sits very often and waits for, the, for a thermal wind to come so that it can then put its wings out and not have to flap, but just go on the soar on the thermal wind. 
and often it will sit for a while until the right wind comes. And it reminded me of how God wants us. There's a lovely verse in Psalm 37 that says, rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. There's something about, you know, I don't know about you, but there's a real hurry in me sometimes. Remember I told you I broke my knee and I felt the Lord said, start praying to take the hurry out of you. Well, I think there's something of the hurry in all of us. We want everything to happen yesterday. And we get a notion, and right, I have to do this right now. And so often, God's saying, but I want you to rest in me. Because you see, his time's perfect. His time's very often not your time. <laughs> and not my time. And so it, it reminds me of how the eagle was willing to rest and wait for that moment when the wind comes. And you know what, ladies, there might be stuff in your life that God wants you to rise up and begin to soar over difficult places. But you know what? You're going to have to learn to rest in him. And sometimes that means waiting. Sometimes it means waiting until He, until the Holy Spirit gives you that nudge to say, right, the time's ready now. You're going to be able to soar through this. You're going to be able to fly over. They that wait upon the Lord, that idea of waiting is resting. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I believe that's a word for us at the beginning of this year. That God wants us to know when to wait and when to put our arms of faith out. And to let the Holy Spirit lift us. And those thermal winds of the Holy Spirit and carry us so that we soar and we're not flapping like this. But we're actually soaring and experiencing the power of God doing the impossible in our lives. This is what God's offering to us at the beginning of this year. And so these men missed out on, on God's heart because God's heart was to see this man restored and God wants to restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. Do you hear me? The stuff that you think that has been lost, the stuff that you think that you can never get back, believe you me, God has an amazing, miraculous, supernatural way of restoring to you the years that the locusts have eaten. He can do more than you would even ask or think. He is way beyond you. He knows how to gather even the bad things up, even the wasted years, and work them together for good. That's because he's God. We can't do it, but he can do it. And so we see that, that, uh, that the Lord was trying to show uh, these people the true meaning of Sabbath. Sabbath. It's resting in him. It's, it's, it's receiving from him. It's allowing him to be our source of nourishment, our rest, our confidence, our peace, and our restoration, that he can restore those places that are withered up, that he can bring restoration. And then the last few verses we're going to finish off with. Verse 12, Now it came to pass in those days that Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. I think it's very interesting that Jesus went up and prayed, and then he called and chose these disciples. And you know what really struck me very simply out of this? 
that God had chosen us. Now I'll tell you something, if you and I had been the ones who were going to choose the men to be the disciples with Jesus, I don't think we'd have chosen these, these people, these boys. What do you think? I mean, James and John were known as sons of thunder. What does that say about their personalities? I don't think we would have chosen them. And, and, you know, Peter was always putting his big foot in it, wasn't he? He was always rushing. God had to take the hurry out of him. He was always shooting his mouth off. But God, Jesus, who was God in flesh, saw something in these men. And do you know what? He sees something in you. I don't care what your faults are. I don't care what your past record is. But I'll tell you, God sees something in you. And he loves you with an everlasting love. And he has called you for purpose. These men were going to be very, very important. Not only for the next three years, but after Jesus went back to heaven, they were going to be crucial in bringing this message to the world. And listen, God has chosen you for purpose. And God wants you to fulfill that purpose. And he wants you to step out into that purpose and to experience what it is to, to, to work and walk with God. And, and the disciples were chosen and so are you. And I believe that we need to understand that God's ways are not our ways. Isaiah 55 says that his ways aren't our ways. The way he thinks isn't the way we think. We probably would look at each other and think, well, I, how in the name of goodness did he ever choose you? But you know what? He's chosen every one of you. He's chosen me. He's chosen you. His ways are not our ways. The way he thinks is not the way we think. And we need to start getting our minds into line with the way that God thinks. And when you start to think about somebody else and you start into accusation and you, you see all their faults, and I'll tell you, it's amazing how we see other people's faults, but we never see our own. You ever notice that? <laughs> and you know what? I remember some one time um, uh, when I was doing my social work course many, many years ago, and, and the lecturer said, I, I never forgot it, he said, it's very interesting that the faults that people see in others are usually the faults that they themselves have. <laughs> and so often we get all turned up about other people. But you know what? We need to see other people the way God does. And realise that God loves them. And we need to start to pray for them. And we need to start to have God's heart for them. And we need to know that God loves us as well. And we need to live from that place of being loved and being chosen. You are God's chosen. He has loved you from before the foundations of the world. Ephesians 1, go home and read it because God wants you to live in the good of that. And so there's something to think about that I've written at the end of this, that God has chosen you for himself. And at the beginning of this new year, he invites you to respond to him for salvation, for rest and restoration. I wonder if there's anybody in here this morning and you've never actually stepped into the fullness of salvation. I wonder if there's somebody here and you've just come along because you've been a bit burnt out or whatever. And, and, and maybe you've, you've, you've gone to church and you've done all the right things and you've lived a good life even. But maybe you're just feeling there's a lack or you're full of anxieties or whatever. And maybe you've just come in here this morning. And you know what? I believe that God would say to you that he wants you to receive his salvation. That he wants you to know that Jesus was sent to this earth the Son of God, who was the Messiah that, that, that God always promised he would send, the one who would bruise the serpent's head, and that he died on the cross to pay the price 
for your sins, past, present and future. And that he wants you to receive that free gift of salvation that he has already purchased for you on the cross. And when you receive that by faith, that you become his daughter. And that you're in a relationship with him and you experience the fullness of salvation, which is not just the forgiveness of sins. That's wonderful and we need that. We must have that. We can't go into heaven with our sins still unatoned for. But Jesus has paid the price. And I believe there could be somebody in here this morning and the Lord saying, I would love you to just receive my free gift of salvation and step from death into life. I'm just going to throw that invitation out. But maybe most of you have already made that commitment. You've asked God to save you. You've received Jesus into your life. And maybe today it's more about receiving this rest that we're talking about. It's more about receiving this restoration. It's more about understanding that God wants to be with you every moment of this year. That he wants this year to be different from any other year. It's about having a fresh understanding that you're chosen. You're chosen to walk through life with Christ. Just like his disciples were chosen. You're chosen for purpose and that God loves you and that he wants you to experience that love on a daily basis. That he wants you to welcome him just as William put his arms up and walked up this room this morning. That he wants you to open your arms, open your heart, open your mind, open your understanding and receive all that God has for you. And that's a moment by moment gift of his rest and his salvation and his restoration. And he wants you to know that you are loved and that you are chosen. I have written in your notes here, you can, you can have all of that. You can enter into the fullness of that. Or you can continue to stress and to strive. You can continue to try and work things out in your own power and your own wisdom. The choice of how you enter 2018 it's yours. Today, there remains a rest for the woman of God. And here we are, 2018 all before us. God knows exactly what's going to happen. God knows exactly how he's going to lead us through. He knows the purpose for us. And he's asking, are you going to trust me? Are you going to get sidetracked? Are you going to become into rules and regulations? Are you going to continue looking at people and backbiting and looking for faults? Are you going to have that pharisaical way of living? Are you going to tie the rope around you and say, you know what, I'm fastened to Christ and I'm going to run to him at every moment and I'm going to learn to get my mind into sync with what heaven is thinking, what God's thinking and I'm going to start thinking the way God thinks and I'm going to know this peace and this joy and I'm going to live in it. Father, I just thank you that you want us to live like that, that that's the way you want to bless us. God, thank you that you're a God who blesses. Thank you that you're a God who plans to, to give us blessings on a daily basis. Thank you, your word says, that you daily load us with, with benefits and with blessings. Lord, help us to live in the expectancy of that. Help us to live with our eyes to you in expectancy. And Lord, help us to keep our eyes away from the enemy who will try to bring fear and dread and distractions into our lives so that we miss out on what this year is intended to be. Father, we trust you for this and we pray as we sing together now that we might really trust you. And even in the singing of this, of this song, that we might make a fresh agreement with you, God, 
that we want to trust you completely, place ourselves into your hands and receive all your blessings. We're going to sing this song, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. Do you know what your soul is? Your mind and your will and your emotions. This walk with God is meant to affect the way you think and the way you feel. Your mind and the way that you, your will, your purpose of how you're going to live, your mind, your will, and your emotions. So let's just stand together and let's really belt this out and just sing it in trusting God for this day. <laughs> sometimes when we speak like this, a word like this, it can come across like there's something mysterious or through this stepping out or receiving or whatever. But you know, if you're feeling far away from God, I believe that it is important for you to take a moment and just confess to him that, you know, if there's anything between you and him, anything that's wrong or you feel it's a blockage or a sin, it's important to pour your heart out to him. It's important to tell him what you're feeling and to repent if there's anything that you need to repent of. It's really important to do that because what I'm talking about is not something that's like some wee magic formula. It's about a real relationship and you need to get sorted with God if there's stuff in the way. And you know, it's when you do that and you tell the Lord, look, I want to start over from today. I receive your forgiveness and I want to step out in faith. Will you please lead me by your Holy Spirit? That's when the journey will start afresh again. And it will not start afresh if you don't have that straight conversation with God. I don't know if any of you read uh, the UCB notes for this morning. But I felt this morning that they were very, very interesting as well. Because they were talking about keep morphing. That metamorphosis. That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to change you from being the caterpillar to becoming the butterfly. And it's the same idea as the eagle. I'm going to read just a couple of bits out of it. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle. I believe God wants to make your weaknesses be turned around actually to make you strong. He wants to make you strong out of your weaknesses. And I don't want to preach another sermon on this, but I'm going to read a couple of things very quickly. The word metamorphosis means to be changed from one form into another. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find famous people such as Moses and David. Did they have weaknesses? Yes. Did they sometimes struggle? Absolutely. But their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle. Picture a caterpillar morphing into a butterfly. It starts out slow and slimy and takes hours to crawl two or three feet when it undergoes the process of metamorphosis, however, it becomes a beautiful butterfly that can fly long distances by simply riding the air currents. What we've been talking about. The butterfly's wings developed as a result of the struggling in the cocoon until it broke free. Believe you me, God can turn around all the struggles and all the stuff in the past that you think can't be forgiven or that you wish you hadn't to go through. He turns it around into actually making you stronger. No fight, no flight. Getting the idea. Are you struggling with something today? Are you in a spiritual battle? It's your struggles that develop your strength and your battles that bring your victories. Satan doesn't want you to know that. He hopes, listen to this ladies, he hopes the battle that you're in will destroy you instead of develop you. 
So he keeps pouring on the pressure. When Paul's life became so hard that he thought he couldn't stand another day of it, God told him, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. How did Paul respond? He writes, it was a case of Christ's strength moving in my, my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations have cut me down to size. Abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks. I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. That's what he's offering you this year. Forget the past. Allow it to work for you, to make you stronger. Put your arms out in faith and wait until he tells you. And just step out because he's going to lead you through this year. This year is going to be good. We're speaking in the prayer group earlier about how he crowns the year with his goodness. He wants to give you the best. He's a good God. Amen. Peace be with you. We'll see you next week. Bring along somebody else if you can. We'll want to see others being blessed. Um, have a good week.